Okay, Sakya, does it all look good? Recording. Okay, excellent. So, first of all, I got to say that just in case you guys have high hopes for this, which I hope you don't, because then it takes the pressure over me. But if you do, I am the guy who, who has given the worst class that Guru Maharaj has ever heard. And that's pretty good because he said in the 70s, there are a lot of pretty bad classes in ISKCON. So I'm just, I just want to make that clear. It happened here when I was a Brahmachari and uh, we started practicing class giving because we didn't really have time to give class. Oh, shoot. Of course. Oh, and took all this information out of the home, oh, man. Well, well, well. Okay, so I wonder if I should just forget about the streaming or. Oh, here we go, okay. Okay, how's that? Oh, it's preparing. Okay. Okay, it's looking like it's going, does it? Look to you guys like it's streaming. Oh, yeah, it's just live on Facebook. Oh, man. So, yeah, this just proves what I was just making the point about <laughs> the worst class. But anyway, so what happened was I was a Brahmachari and we didn't have really time to give classes. And so then Guru Maharaj wanted to start training us up in giving class. And so I, I picked this one Bhagavad Gita verse and I was just loving the, the you know, whole research part and getting really into all the details and you know whatever was involved in like giving a good class and I did a whole bunch of research and background in you know whatever I could think of you know doing to really give a good class and then Guru Mahesh and Vrindarana sat down in the class in the fr in front row and I completely froze up I mean it was like almost like I couldn't get a word out of my mouth and then afterwards Guru Mahesh said yeah that was the worst class I've ever heard <laughs> so I hope this one's going to be at least a little better than that so I can feel a little better about myself and start practicing. But yeah, I have not given many classes at all. This is probably the third class I've ever given. So that's how you learn. You make a fool out of yourself. And then because it burns so much, you have to do better next time. So let's see how it goes. So the, I, the subject of my class is the intentional sadhaka, focusing on making progress. And I want to start my series by uh, talking about this American TV show that says a lot about life in the material world. So every time, pretty much every single time I go visit my uh, mother-in-law, she's watching this show, this uh, reality, reality TV show called The Hoarders. And for those who don't know the word hoarder, hoarder or hoarding, it means that you like over amass something and, and hold on to it. Like for example, Prabhupada uses the term, uh, the fifth regulation is uh, um, no hoarding of gold. 
But this TV show, these people are definitely not hoarding gold. They actually, they hoard whatever they can get, get their hands on, like old newspapers or um, um, pieces of plywood, like whatever they can find and get, they just grab it and bring it to, to their homes. And so then um, their homes are like these, they, a lot of times they have these single family big homes and they are so filled with junk that they have only these like narrow paths from the door to say like the fridge and from the fridge to the bathroom and the bathroom to uh, the uh, bedroom or their kids room. And that's all that's the whole, all the room they have in their house. And so the TV show um, uh, basically brings in a TV crew to that home. And then there's this like intervention. They have these like, uh, uh, professional um, psychiatrists with the TV crew and the TV crew works with the family of the hoarder to try to intervene and like try to get the hoarder to stop this tendency. And it's absolutely incredible to me that that like a lot of times there are these ultimatums, like for example, the kids are going to be taken away from the, the hoarding parents uh, because the living conditions are so horrible in the house that that the social services are going to take the kids, and like other like major major ultimatums, and and still those people who suffer from this hoarding tendency they cannot let that habit go. Although they love their kids, they're just like any other parent. Like they absolutely love their kids. The same thing happens with their spouses and their all their like relationships deteriorate because of this awful habit of just like grabbing onto things because they get this immediate gratification and sense of security from that junk. Although it goes completely against what's like in their actual, uh, uh, in their um, interest. And that's the amazing part to me that, that they can't like, you know, you look at it, you're sitting on the couch and you're looking at somebody like, just like being tormented by throwing away a piece of broken glass or something. And you're, you're thinking like, how can that be? Like, what's wrong with you? But then you're probably, you're seeing it coming. I, I just have to throw out this uh, cheesy metaphor about material life. Like really, when you think about it, we are doing the exact same thing. We hoard all these unartists in our hearts. We fill it with this junk that really is not in our interest. And we make it so crowded that we can't really even move what to speak of having a clean space so that we can invite Krishna in our hearts and, and have a party basically. Instead, we alienate everybody from ourselves. We alienate you know, the, the mercy that's coming down to us by just holding on to all these unartists and false values. And then we're alone in our junk-filled heart and just like in this like very myopic uh, contracted state. And the really interesting thing about um, the hoarders is that it doesn't matter how much um, theoretical information you give them about all kinds of things like that their kids are going to be taken away or like how bad it is for your health that you have this food from like, you know, from the time when Bush was the president and there's like rats dying in your, in your <laughs> house and there's mold and you're like, practically killing yourself it doesn't matter how much of that theoretical understanding you try to give to the hoarders they can't change their ways and that really kind of leads to uh why i wanted to uh 
um, give this kind of uh, series of classes that I'm giving right now today. And so basically what I'm getting at here is that as sadhakas, we can get like so much siddhanta, which is absolutely important because we need that like that frame of reference, but it's not enough. Like it's just not enough for us to get all this siddhanta, siddhanta, siddhanta and not like put it in practice. And so that's really, that's what I want to focus on with this series. Uh, the idea of intentionality is that uh, you really look at your situation, you look at your hoarding tendency, and you, you get clear about how bad it is and how much it's against your own uh, interest. And then you start thinking about, like, really try to understand what can I do to change that? Like, what is there for me to actually do that I can change? And so that relates to the, let me look at my notes a little bit here, to the um, structure that I created for this, uh, this series. And so basically um, the idea is that the first class is gonna be about the mindset or the paradigms, like kind of exploring what are like unconducive paradigms and mindsets and attitudes in terms of becoming a steady practitioner and being happy doing it. And what are the paradigms that, or the like, kind of like self image that would really help us practice better. So that's the first class. And then the second class is, uh, we'll do some visualizations about what would be for wherever we are at right now as sadhakas for our adhikar, what would be the ideal situation for us as sadhakas? Kind of like try to imagine your your ultimate situation if you feel like you're stuck or you're not making enough progress like what would be the most conducive environment for us to practice steadily and make as much progress as we can with the car that we have so that's the second class just thinking about our ideal situation and the goals that we want to achieve in this life and then the third class is going to be about how to actually practically go about like breaking down where we are right now and then breaking down the process of trying to get to what that ideal is that we came to in the second class and so it's going to be about maybe life management time management those kind of things that somehow would su support our uh, endeavor to become better sadhakas and steadier sadhakas and then the, the last class is going to be about habits how to form conducive habits and how to break the bad habits that we have that get in the way of being uh, steady sadhakas basically. So yeah, um, maybe a little ambitious, <laughs> but you gotta shoot high, right? So I guess probably some people when they hear this, cause I am pulling, I'm not only pulling from the Shastra, that's of course the basis of my classes. And that's obviously the bedrock of the whole thing. But so some people might be thinking, so because I, yeah, I should mention that I am also pulling from psychology and these like uh, contemporary books on, I guess you could call them self-help, although I hate that word. I guess you could look at it like Atma, you help your Atma. So that's yourself. So you help your Atma to become a better, better practitioner. So in that way, you could say self-help. So there are certain books that I, books that I'm pulling from that have greatly inspired me and helped me actually in my 
uh, sadhaka life and trying to make my sadhana stronger as a kind of like a like Guru Maharaj says like the horizontal growth in it has to always be in the view of like going up so so then my point is like okay I'm I'm using this so-called mundane books like the one of the main books I reference is this book called the seven habits of highly uh, effective people so then you know people might ask you know it's a good question like well why do you want to mix this mundane literature to your you know exposition of how to become a better sadhaka like isn't bhakti comes from bhakti so like what's the point of bringing this mundane stuff into it like doesn't you know it's in the beginning of the bhakti rasamrita sindhu that Sutta bhakti or uttam bhakti is jnana karma anavritam, which means that it's completely uncovered by jnana karma. So what's with the seven habits, you know? And it's a fair question, but the interesting thing is Jiva Goswami uh, writes in one of his comment commentaries in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, he comments on this Bhagavatam verse, verse that says that bhakti comes from bhakti alone. And he says what this actually means Oh, this is one way of, of reading it, is that that bhava bhakti comes from sadhana bhakti. And then when we think about the bhakti comes from bhakti perspective from that point of view, then we can start thinking like, well, okay, so we are sadhakas and sadhana bhakti leads to bhava bhakti. But as sadhakas, we're completely, we're embodied beings. We can't deny the fact that we are a mixture as sadhakas, as the material influence, and then the grace that comes from Golok, basically, Krishna's grace. So then from that point of view, okay, so where could this, this new research and insight into the human like behavior and human nature be useful? And then the obvious answer is that although these are uh, unrelated to bhakti, they can really support us as sadhakas in the world as embodied beings who still are conditioned by the environment basically of material existence because these so-called self-help books books the good ones they really talk a lot about how to kind of like reclaim your power to choose for yourself instead of just being affected by your your environment and so that's really where where it comes uh very handy if if uh you feel like you need that kind of help. And that's that's where I use these psychological books and, and like basically secular wisdom about how to uh, be better about creating good habits and then sticking to them and, and creating the right kind of like mindset and self-image that helps us really take advantage of, of sadhana, basically. So to encapsulate what I said, the reason why you can say that these things are helpful, although bhakti comes from bhakti, is because we are embodied beings and we can affect our embodiment in a way that helps us practice more, which is a purely spiritual um, task. And so the idea of the intentional sadhaka, really, I guess I should define the word intentional to just be sure that everybody, everybody's on the same page about what we're talking about here. So Intentional means, uh, according to the Oxford Dictionary, it means um, it's the fact of being deliberate or purposive. And this purposive is a funny word. It means basically that you act with purpose, that you have a purpose for your behavior. And really, in our context, what it means is that we don't just like 
react to our environment and do whatever impulses come. But we have a clear goal, what we want to achieve in life. We want to achieve uh, bhava and then prem from there. And so as an intentional sadhaka, then the thing is to look at like what we can do in terms of achieving bhav is like okay it's the same as like you're five years old and you say i want to be a ceo of you know amazon or something so it, it almost means nothing for us at this level okay i want to achieve bhav we don't even know what that means really so then the the intentional approach uh would be to to break it down to smaller smaller steps really and um one thing also about this definition of intentional is one of the synonyms was deliberate. And one of the dictionaries, the Merriam-Webster dictionary uh, um, defines deliberate as that it implies full consciousness of the nature of one's act and its full consequences. And that's a really important thing also for thinking about what this like intentional sadhaka idea means. It means that you you understand what you're doing and what the consequences are and that you take responsibility of, of your behavior instead of blaming the environment or blaming somebody else for how you behave or the circumstances. And of course, the opposite of intentional is undesigned or accidental. And unfortunately, many of us uh, and many people in the world and you know me included in many ways we live in this accidental way where we just like react to our environment whatever happens in our environment we react based on that instead of having this like solid core of like values that we'd be totally value driven and then we all we can like see that if we just react to some like stimulus or anything like whatever happens in our environment, if we react in this knee-jerk way, we can't really build up towards uh, a value-driven life or like a life that has a clear center of principles. And in our case, the center of Krishna and Krishna Bhakti, because then we're always completely conditioned by our, by in our environment. And really if we talk about intentionality and how to achieve an intentional life i think the place to start really is self-awareness because that's that's the basis of um that really is the basis of any kind of intentionality because if you're not self-aware all you have left is reacting to the impulses and reacting to the stimulus that your nature that your environment gives you and it's really like an amazing thing to think, like say right now, we'll stop this thing and I'm gonna ask Sakyarati, what are you thinking right now, Sakyarati? Oh, but I can't, you, you have to put it in the, in the uh, chat because I, I can unmute you. Oh, let's see if I can. No, there you go, yeah. So what's, what's on your mind right now, Sakyarati? Um... Like the first thing that you don't have to try to censor or anything. Just say what you were thinking. I was thinking who was on the call. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So yeah. like that right there is like an amazing example of what humans can do instead of what animals can do. Like Sakirati, she can watch the video, but she can be aware of what is going on in her mind. And like 
it's it's sometimes so easy to forget as humans because we're used to that faculty but like just to stop and think how incredible it is that we can actually get come outside of ourselves and observe what's happening in our minds and it's like you can you can observe from the outside both your feelings and your your thoughts and that really is the reason why we are able to control our environment in its to such an such an extent as we do because there'd be no way of doing that if we couldn't place ourselves outside of ourselves and be aware of how we behave and and consciously think about how to change that and so that's why it's so extremely important as sadhakas for us to try to like cultivate that kind of self-awareness and introspection in the context of doing bhakti because it pulls us out of the immediate environment and enables us to really decide what we want to do based on our values and principles and our like cherished goal of like this transcendence that has nothing to do with the material environment the fact that we can stop and think and try to like build on that small amount of free will that we have is amazing and and that really is the kind of like the key to becoming a better sadhaka is to focus on the the idea that we have that free will instead of being just these animals who react to impulses and that's all we can do and so that also a lot of that self-awareness a really important idea there is these like self images or paradigms that we have about ourselves and the world basically gurumach uses the word um conceptual orientation so we have all these models in our minds about what the world is and who we are and because we are like very strongly determined by our environment we have this this map in our minds that we are determined by our environment and i mean in some ways it's always true that we are determined by environment but the thing is what we try to do is we do have free will and we want to try to use that free will to uh, transport ourselves by grace by praying for that grace transport ourselves to another environment that's actually according to our nature because this environment is not but we do have that free will although we're always defined by by our environment to to want to to deeply desire to be moved or transported to the other environment that actually corresponds with our true nature so the, the the point i'm making here is that the paradigms that we have about what's possible and what we are and who we are define how we behave it, like our paradigms our ideas or the kind of like mental maps of ourselves they define who our behavior and our attitudes they, they those like our behavior and our attitudes completely flow from those paradigms of what we have about ourselves in life and so that is like one thing in this intentionality idea is extremely important that we like use this kind of introspective introspection to understand what our hang-ups are and how it comes in the way of of uh, us being really steady and happy sadhakas and what would be a self image that would be extremely useful for it and that leads to this other idea uh, let me stop here Oh, I never mind. This unmuting is too hard for me. I was going to ask if there's any questions or if we have to 
kind of uh, stop and recap some of these things, but put it on the in the chat if you have any questions or if it's going too fast or whatever. So I'll try to adjust accordingly. Let's see. So, okay, so then I've been talking about this idea that we have free will and we can actually like work on those muscles of, of having more autonomy in terms of our own decisions and stuff. But then, of course, there has to be a Purva Paksha idea, this kind of like counter argument that, that has been made a lot. And the, the problem with us as sadhakas in the modern world is that if you look at the scientific idea of what we are as, as embodied human beings, it's highly, highly deterministic, which means that the social sciences, well, not maybe not as much, much social sciences, but like the um, behavioral science and, and biology and these kind of um, sciences, they very much think that we are determined, predetermined really, like we're determined in a way that we don't have almost, well, actually a lot of these uh, researchers and scientists in these areas fields, they say that we actually don't even have free will. That free will is something that comes after the fact when things happen. It's just like a side product of the, the non-causal um, things that happen in the brain. And like, what a terrible way of looking at the world. Like we are these machines, complete robots that simply react to, to stimulus. And that's all we can do. And uh, but that the problem for us as sadhakas is that that is the overarching paradigm, social paradigm of the West. Science is like the highest praman or the highest, uh, uh, what's the Finnish English word? Uh, proof of anything. And, and the, the praman of science is that we're completely deterministic. But the thing is, if you think about your experience, and if you look at the world and how history has you know, formed and how, how everything is working in the world, it seems to be a ridiculous idea that we have no free will, that we're not like actual beings or like, like, like we're not real persons. And as sadhakas, it's very important to try to break that paradigm down in our minds and like just discard it. We, we can admit that we are highly determined by our environment, but it does not mean that we can't exercise our free will and actually like learn to build on a little, it's, it's very minor right now, but we can build on that free will and just like learn to build those muscles of like making our own decisions instead of letting the environment work on us and basically like treat us like these puppets, you know? And um, so this idea that we are completely determined it has to be kind of destroyed in our own minds because we are products partially of our own societies. And since that is such a strong idea in our world, it, it, we should focus on like really dismantling that idea. And then one really helpful thing, thing from the Seven Habits book is this idea. It's a phrase really, and it, it goes like this. It says, between stimulus and response lies our freedom to actually make our decisions. And it might sound complicated, but it's a very simple idea. And it's really a groundbreaking idea when you think about it. It means between the stimulus of whatever happens in the world or whatever has happened in the world that somehow affects you as a person, 
between that effect and your response to that effect, there's this like tiny little space in between those two things. And that's where we as sadhakas, we have to like bear down on that point. And, and that's where our freedom to actually choose to become serious sadhakas and choose bhakti, that's where it lies. And like, I guess it would be easy to say, well, what are you talking about? Like, really, we are completely dependent. You're trying to say where we have this independence, but really, we're completely dependent, dependent on Krishna. That is the teaching. And I guess you could say, well, that's true. Like, according to uh, our acharyas, we belong in the monkey school of like, the when we talk about the relationship between um, grace and effort. So there's these two schools. I think it com comes from the Sri Sampradaya. So there's the monkey school, which means that the baby monkey holds on to the mom's hair, you know, on the belly when the mom like jumps from tree to tree. And then there's the kitten school, which means that the mom holds the kitten from the neck and like carries the kitten wherever she goes. Of course, this means, you know, the, the mother is bhakti and we are the, the, the kid. And so we belong in the monkey school, which means that you need both uh, grace and effort to, to make progress. And so if somebody's saying, well, Gurnishta is trying to promote this like independent idea, and it's just a material imposition on our real position. What I'm really trying to say is it's true. We're completely dependent on grace. But as Gurumach says, you should practice as if your progress completely depended on your own effort while very well knowing that it's all about grace. So really, when you think about what I'm trying to say here and like what this class is about, if we use that monkey metaphor, is that you cling on to the hair as hard as you can. And the intentional part is that you learn, for example, you practice your fingers, you know, to grab on stronger, or you, you practice your focus that you're only focused on the mother's hair. Like say, okay, the, the, there's your monkey mother and you're holding on, but then there's next to it, there's another nice, even nicer fur. And it's, it's actually a little yellow and it's a little softer. And then you, your hand goes, oh, I think I'm gonna grab that hair. And then you're like, man, I'm just gonna switch, you know, bolts here. I'm gonna grab onto this yellow hair. And then you realize you're hanging onto a lion and it eats you up, you know? So basically like, it's so easy to take these, you, you grab onto these anarthas and you go with them. And uh, so the intentional part is you use your full capacity to first of all, grab on and grab onto the right thing, not just any lion or, you know, whatever monster there is in the jungle, you grab onto your mother and then whatever is in your power to first of all, choose right and then grab on as hard as you possibly can. That's what we're basically talking about here. And so this idea of, of us having that free will, the desire and the, the ability to decide to hold on to the monkey mother, that's what this like, idea of that space between the stimulus or what happens to us and how we respond to it is so important because that gives us the power to decide to hold on as hard as we can. And uh, it's easier in a lot of ways to, to think that we don't have that power because then you can always blame somebody else. You can always blame your environment, your upbringing, your 
genes, I mean, whatever, you know, the weather, you know, you don't feel like chanting because it's raining outside. But if, if you really just like realize that it's completely up to you actually, whether you're gonna practice or not. The, and and then here, the, another transformation of this idea of trying to like always uh, delegate responsibility to somebody else is to say that, well, my guru is gonna save me. But that's exactly not how you're supposed to think about the guru in the way of your own practice. It's true that you can't save yourself. You need the guru to come you know, down as a representative of Krishna. But the thing is, he can't chant for you. He can't, he can't come between your stimulus and response and say, and, and do the decisions for you. That's, that's on us, unless you get Kripa Siddhi, which would be nice, but it doesn't happen that much. And um, so really the word that I think most like kind of like depicts what I'm talking about is this idea of proactivity, that you have this proactive approach to your sadhaka life and to your life in general, that you actually have the power to decide what you want to do and then follow up on it. And, and like we will talk about more about how to stick to habits and stuff because habits are like really the, the, the cornerstone of changing your life in the direction that you wanna change it. But the, we, of course, all of us have the experience of how hard it is to stick to promises. But the, 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 like, since we're talking about the mindset and the paradigms behind what enables us to really change our lives in the direction that we want to and stick to it, this idea of proactivity is like so important. It's been like absolutely crucial for me and it basically means that we take full responsibility of our lives and we don't blame anything or anybody else really when it really comes down to it. I mean, of course, the environment affects us and has a certain like uh, inevitable course that it that affects us in deep ways a lot of times, but we can still decide what our response to that effect is, if you know what I mean. And so what I've started doing myself is like every time something happens that, for example, really aggravates me, like I'm terrible on the road. Like I have I'm a little bit of a road rage problem. It comes from my mom here. I'm blaming my mom, as you can see. And so somebody cuts in front of me. I'm like, ah! and then <laughs> what I know, what I try to do right now is I, I try to like actually like say it out loud i'm like i could choose my response you know god damn i could choose my response <laughs> and and it's amazing like when you become aware of that process of stimulus and response um you can actually you can start working on the ability to to stop yourself and choose your response instead of being just a complete automaton in terms of like whatever stimulus comes your way you just react to it and so, but the thing is, we, we do have to work on that, that ability. And as sadhakas, it should be always in the context of, of wanting to practice better. And so really, when you really think about it, what I, the, the question that I wanna ask throughout this series is, why are we stuck? Like, why, what is it that keeps us from making progress? And like, I, I really would like you guys to ask that yourselves as well because this is it's so highly like personal where we are at and what 
would help us to get unstuck. It's like one thing that would make me unstuck is going to make you stuck. So really, I want to ask you to like think about this point amongst yourselves, like in your own heart and, and really think about like, first of all, why am I stuck? Why am I not making faster progress? And then what is it in my psychology that's keeping me down specifically or in my the way I understand bhakti and, and my, myself and the world? And then the other question is, how, what should I do to get unstuck? And what should I do to really make more progress? And since this is kind of like really dense stuff and stuff, I think I'm gonna stop there. And uh, so to keep it, you know, intentional you know so that i can have your full focus and attention so I, i'm going to stop here and uh, see if you guys any com have any comments or personal experiences that relate to anything like this or questions even let me see now i have to see how to unmute uh, Ask all to unmute. No, I'm not sure if I did it right. No, okay. Sakura is saying no. Okay, mute all. Hello. Is it that allow participants to unmute themselves? Yeah, okay, good. Okay, okay, we're good. So if there are any comments or questions, please shoot them my way. Guru Nishta, can you hear me? Yes. Haribo, Kanaram. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Oh. Oh. Namarasana, if you want to talk, you should put English and a mute original audio. Yeah, I'm not I'm not hearing her. Hmm. Maybe you can mute her and Kanoram was trying to say something. Okay, let's see here. Okay. Kanoram, you had something? Yeah, just uh, thank you very much. I thought your class was nice. Must right. must be a big improvement on your your first one. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I'm sure. Um no, I really liked it. I thought there are, you're talking about the, 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 there's a small space between the stimulus and the response. Yeah. And I, I really, I feel that a lot for myself. I, I've talked with them. Krishna Chaitanya told me once years ago that like Vishnu John Swami had said, there, there are lots of gaps in our day, you know, like you have, like maybe you have a time where you're reading and mm. then like there's a little gap and then there's a time where you're chanting and then there's a little gap mm. and then there's a time when you're listening to a lecture and if 
So Vishnu John Swami's suggestion was if you fill up all of those gaps somehow with time spent in Krishna consciousness. So like that's something that that I'm trying to work on and I'm not great at it by any means. And but um, like just finding a way to fill up those gaps with something Krishna, because hmm. often my, my stimulus says I want to do this or I want to hear some radio music or I want to watch some TV or whatever it is. And then so there is my opportunity in that moment. There's my opportunity to choose like how I'm going to grow or like even today, like I have I have a bigger project that I want to direct my life towards. Mm. But there are some things that I would really rather do for fun. Right. So it's a, it's sort of a hard choice. And so I have to like lean on my higher self and lean on the higher principle in order to get where where I want to go. Yeah. I want to go there. But my lower self says like, oh, but you want to do this thing that's fun and easy. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, I can relate for sure. One question, of course, is then like, um, like you do have to also give yourself a little time off sometimes, unless oh, you're yeah. at the level that you can be 100% sadhaka at all times. Or it's not even not about whether you're sadhaka or not. I mean, that's a really good principle. I really appreciate that. I try to live like that myself as well. But then I, th I would say part of being intentional is also to know, know your limits so that you don't basically go, go too far. And I mean, it's an obvious point, but uh, it is good to remember. And I think that's why like really understanding your own psychology in the context of doing bhakti is so useful because then you can gauge your engagement based on what you can actually stomach. And God knows I've uh, <laughs> gone wrong with that so many times. But yeah, sometimes it can be really good too. You go too far and as long as you're not super dysfunctional and can't tell yourself to stop, then it, it is actually good to do too much or too little sometimes so that you can feel when it's, you kind of have this like, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, not discomfort, but dissatisfaction that kind of guides you. Like if you do too much, you start feeling dissatisfied. If you do too little, hopefully you'll start start feeling dissatisfied. I mean, sometimes uh, we don't, but it would be good if it was always there. But anyway, some thoughts. But yeah, I really appreciate your point, though. Thank you very much. It's a nice class. Thank There's you. a. It's easy to. Um, I have tried in the past to like over surrender, try to do too much. Yeah. And like, like this, like what you're saying, I start to feel dissatisfied, or I feel grumpy with some yep. people, or something like that. And so it's a real delicate art. It's an art of a balance. Mm -hmm. Anyway, thank you. Yeah, thanks. One point I want to make about that too, real quick, is that that what kind of Ram said that that definitely happens to me too. Like when I do too much, and I start getting grumpy, and my immediate tendency is to get annoyed with others instead of looking at myself and being like, well, I've made a mistake here. I've over endeavored. Instead, that's like the, the anti-intentional or anti-proactive thing is that I start blaming my environment for the fact that I'm not feeling satisfied. So that's another thing to always be aware of is that when we start blaming others for our situation, like what is actually behind that blaming? Why are we dissatisfied? Why do we have to be bl blaming others for things? And I think, you know, one of the, main things about Vaishnavs is that they don't criticize others. And you can't do that superficially. You can't just decide, I'm not going to criticize anybody. And it's like, you know, like tape up your 
duct tape your mouth so you don't criticize anybody, but then you keep doing it in your mind anyway. And I think like pure devotees are like the most proactive people in the world. Like if you think about Prabhupada and Guru Maharaj, for example, my Guru Maharaj, Swami Tripurari, the way they carried themselves or carry themselves in their sadhana and in their practice, it's like they don't ask others whether they should do something or if they can do something in a way of like, well, I mean, of course they ask their gurus and everything, but what I'm saying is they are so like self-driven to do service and to surrender that they don't like, you know how it was always like Prabhupada said about my guru much that he doesn't need a GVC. And the reason is because he's so proactive that there's no need for somebody to manage his time. He knows what he's doing. And so basically, I guess what I want to try to talk about with this series is how to like practically the, with these baby steps, try to try to go in that direction of that kind of proactivity in terms of bhakti that we just automatically, we just do it and we love doing it. And nobody needs to tell us what to do in that way because it's so, so natural for us. Oh, now I'm seeing that Radha Madhavadasi is asking a question. My Spanish is a little rusty, so I think I'm not going to need Kali Yukupavana on this one. Okay. Thank you. Let me let me let me double check that I understood the question. Was she asking that in the moment of listening to a class, if we should be completely focused on the class or doing something else at the same time? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question. So the first question I would say is that we should definitely be fully focused on the class. I mean, it also depends on who's speaking. Like when I'm speaking, you know, <laughs> maybe you don't have to be so strict. I'm just like riffing here. But if if there's a pure Vaishnav who's speaking. Well, I should say, actually, let me take that back. If I'm speaking on the Bhagavatam, then we should have respect for the Bhagavatam and the, the Vyasa-san or the, the, the post of somebody speaking the Bhagavatam or any other holy Gaudiya scripture. 
So then we should pay full attention, not because of me or somebody else speaking per se, but because of the sacred uh, nature of the of what's happening. It's definitely, well, <laughs> I keep going back and forth because new things are coming to my mind. I think that should be the basic principle. But then if, I guess the, the I would say it's a kind of a practical matter. Like it's ideal that we don't do anything else because that enables us to pay more attention, which means that we can absorb more of the, the, the Siddhanta and the grace that's coming down. But then the other side is, we'll say like, if you have a restless mind and you wanna stay in class and get as much benefit as you can, but it's really hard for you to just sit down and do nothing. And then instead you actually just wanna leave the class because it's so hard for you to sit and do nothing then it's definitely better to do something at the same time. Like one of our, my god brothers, he, he doesn't always like to sit, sit quietly and do nothing. So he brings a little notebook to, his, um, to the classes of my Guru Maharaj and he draws at the same time. He's a very creative guy. And that enables him to actually, in some ways, pay better attention because his mind is not disturbed. And so if you have the same kind of problem, right, Hamad Habdasi, then... I, I don't know what your situation is, but if it's if it is something like that, then I think it's just really comes down to kind of like just observing yourself and seeing what gives you the most benefit in terms of how you approach the classes. I don't think it should be said that you absolutely should never do anything else, because if that doesn't work for you as well as doing something, then you should totally do something unless it's like something that's very inappropriate for a class situation. <laughs> I didn't come up with any good example, but something weird. No, I know anyway, not even weird, but something inappropriate. I hope that helps. And then the other question is really good. And that's of course a thing that I've really th thought about a lot when I've been uh, prepping this class and whatnot. And like, there's a big, there is like a fear of, of this psychology and this kind of more like secular or even mundane stuff, like taking your mind away and being like, actually, I don't want to do bhakti. I just want to become a wholesome person, you know? And actually this bhakti is a little dysfunctional, you know? So I'm just going to dump it and I'm going to go with the seven habits and, and just do that. The good thing about seven habits is that the guy who wrote the book is a spiritual guy. So you don't have that danger with that one. But I think, I mean, that, that's a really good question. I don't really have like a great answer to that. But I would say you can ask your guru, I guess, what, what he thinks about or she thinks about that kind of thing. And then, I, you know, okay, here's one way of, of really gauging whether it's good for you or not. See how it affects your enthusiasm about bhakti. I mean, that's really the, the, the only thing you have to think about if you can be honest with yourself. You just focus on that. If you read psychology or whatever, if it actually enthuses you to do bhakti, then go for it. Like, for example, I sometimes read uh, books from other traditions, spiritual traditions like uh, Christianity or uh, Sufis or something like that. And the gauge whether that's good for me or not is whether that excites me spiritually. And it does a lot of times because it makes me reflect on Gaudiya Vaishnavism in a way that's fresh. And when it's fresh, it's exciting. And as long as I stay in the fold, so to speak, and these 
these non-devotional or non-Gaudiya books inspire your, your faith and bhakti, then, I mean, that's a pretty clear indication whether it's working for you or not. That's what I would say. Thank you for the questions. Really, really good questions. Well, there's Namrajana raising her hand. Let's see here. <laughs> Sorry, I'm so bad with this thing. What do I have to do here? Uh... Unmute. Okay, okay, now I can hear you. Jai. Nice to see you. You too. Long time no see. <laughs> Thank you for such a nice speech. You are a wonderful speaker. <laughs> Thank you. So one question comes to my mind when I was listening to you. Uh, what do you think if we really should... Uh, focus uh, ourselves on doing progress because when we think I want I want to do my my progress so it's always about us yes yeah. I want something for me yes yeah so it could be sometimes a little dangerous um, so what do you think maybe sometimes better do do some seva and the progress will come future later or sooner we will see yeah no that's a really yeah really good point um i guess then it does come down to whether you feel like you have whether your taste for those practices are increasing or not because like say like if you don't focus on yourself and you only try to do service but there's but you don't have like a whole lot of taste for the service then you have to stop and think like well what is like i said earlier like the whole point of this series is like asking yourself constantly like why why am i stuck or why do i not have more taste so if you can be happy just doing service at all times and not focus on yourself that's like exactly what we want i mean that's really what we want but the why i'm talking about these things is that almost all sadhakas feel on some level that they're stuck and that they could make more progress, but they just can't somehow get around to it. And so I, that's what I would say, like, if you feel like you're stuck and you're not inspired by your service and your sadhana, then you got to look at yourself and, and turn the, the vision kind of at, at yourself only as much as it's ne necessary to get you unstuck and get moving again. Does that make sense? Yeah. Thank you. Good question. Well, I think I've talked enough. <laughs> it's been fun. Thanks so much for everybody for coming. And uh, hopefully I'll see you all next week. We'll continue with more of the same. Shilguru March ki jai. Vaisnav Sangha ki jai. Guru Pramanande. Haribo. Guru Nishta Prabhu ki jai.